As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Restore your view of money. A culture project restore night talk by Father Leo Pataling-Hug. Hey, everybody. Thank you very much. Yeah, you really screwed up my last name, man, but that's all right. So I'm going to help you with it. Uh, I do this often, but people still laugh, but it's true. My last name is challenging, so I'm going to spell it for you. It's spelled P-A-T-A-L-I-N-G-H-U-G-W-X-Y-Z. And in my native Philippine language, it's pronounced Smith. So you should have no trouble. No, paddling hug, paddling hug, just like it's spelled. And in my language, it literally means either Lord have mercy or spare me, O Lord. That's what it means. So I've been invited to your culture project to make all you people beg for mercy. And sometimes, don't you feel that in the economy today? Like, it's like, my gosh, everything is so expensive. I just need God to, to help me out with things. And originally, let me just... Talk about how funny this is, because my work is generally with food, the power of food. As a professional chef, I cook and I talk and I give a message with a meal. That's the funny part. And my work is to bring people closer around the dinner table. And I have a few different projects that I'm going to talk about because it has to do with the topic at hand, which is to restore uh, your... Culture in tonight is about oh, oh, oh. Restore, your view of money. restore your view of money. And here is the funny part. They selected this from a list of my topics that I have on my website. And it was about the economy of salvation, which is actually a theological term to describe how Jesus saves his people. It has nothing to do with money. But guess what? We're going to talk about money tonight because I can do that. Why? because it has to do with food. There is a story, and it's a true story, of Saint Leo the Great, I'm just saying, but Saint Leo the Great is the only pope that was actually able to defend the city of Rome against the, one of the worst tyrannical, tyrannical people ever, Attila the Hun. You know who that is, right? So Attila the Hun comes with his entire army, and he goes to confront Saint Leo, and apparently the way this worked was they met in a tent outside of Rome and no one has any clue what happened in that discussion, but they know as soon as he had this discussion, Attila the Hun picked up his entire force and left. Now this is weird because no one knows what was said. There are some historians that say Saint Leo made a bargain with Attila the Hun and provided for him access to Via Salaria where you get salt. So the word Salaria, Via Salaria, is the way of the salt mines because that's how people got paid. In American English we say worth your weight in salt and the word salary from Salaria. It's the way of salt. So money and food go hand in hand. You're welcome. But, but, if that was the case, Attila the Hun would have said, 
Screw you, Leo. I'm going to take over not only that salt mine, I'm going to take over the entire city. Why would he simply leave? Well, if you go to the bot relief in Italy, in St. Peter's, and you go to the tomb of St. Leo the Great, you're going to see St. Leo saying to Attila the Hun, if you come and attack our country, our sovereignty, our city, that is the first city to practice what was called the right to religion, if you mess with us, I am going to get St. Peter and St. Paul to literally kick your butt. Because you see the image of St. Leo pointing in the direction of telling Attila the Hun to get the heaven out of here. But he's also pointing to St. Peter and Paul, who's literally coming out of the clouds with swords, ready to strike Attila the Hun dead. And Attila the Hun is looking in absolute fear. This is the economy of salvation. And we're going to talk about money. It is the fact that on the U.S. dollar, it says, in God, we trust. Do you have anything religious on your money? Did you ever take a look? Because I want you to see how much money you have because we're going to take up a collection. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> but yeah, let's just take a look. Because this is actually, believe it or not, this is a symbol of faith. Did you know that? That money is a symbol of of faith. Because the first people to actually consider banking, they all started in Siena, the first bank ever in Siena. And the way that the money worked was that churches used to provide a bank note. Is this all you got? It's a $5 bill. I'm kidding with you. They used to provide a bank note. They used to provide a bank note to say that we're going to cover your costs in order for you to pay taxes as you're entering from one city or one country to the other. The first, the first form of commerce in all of world history, do you know who was responsible for it? Catholic pilgrims. Catholic pilgrims. If it weren't for us Catholic pilgrims going from one city to the other and buying food along the way and selling their tchotchke as memorabilia and souvenirs, our economy would tank. So world, you're welcome. It's because of us, we literally keep commercial product going. Just think about Christmas and the commerciality of it. I'm one of those people that actually likes Christmas and spending money for it. Why? Because it not only creates jobs, it creates opportunities to show that when you give and when you buy, it can actually be an act of faith, which is why I want to talk about money that actually glorifies God, and when you talk about money in a way that glorifies God, it can actually save the world. You just have to be responsible with what you do with your money. So I want you to think about what money can do. It can literally glorify God, which is why the whole purpose of this talk is to give glory to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, ready, as it was in the beginning. Amen. Good. Sister Mary Holy Waterfont would be very proud of you all right now. Good. But as it was, is, 
and will be. Those are the principles that can actually glorify God when you think of money. Let's talk about the was. Was is really about what you have saved and what you have earned. I want you to think about how people get paid. And the only reason why they get paid is because they, are, they work. And the word in Greek for work is leiturgos, which is where we get the word liturgy. It's work. And so when we work for salvation, guess what? Money has to be a part of it. In fact, the offering at Mass, you know that part that everyone kind of gets nervous about because they start sending the collection out? It is the bridge between the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. You cannot remove the offertory. It is a necessary part of Mass. It's the bridge between the Word and the Eucharist. And what is that? When you literally give something up. When I was a kid, that was the homily, was the time when my mother would rip out her checkbook and she would write the check. That's what she would do during the homily. And then she would put it away and then she would give it to me. And it was my job as the youngest and the favorite to actually put the money in the collection basket. It was such a big deal. These days, you're starting to see the pastor just stand in the front of the church and little kids all walk up and they put money in the basket. Why? Because in this offering, you're literally practicing the act of religion. The word religion comes from either two Latin etymologies, religare or religere. The word relegare means to give something up. It is the word for relegate. That is the practice of religion. Or it could be religere, which means to be bound together. And so when you're literally making an offering to God, you are taking what you think you've earned and you've given it back to God. But the fact is, the only reason why you earned it, and the liturgy says it, is because God gave you work. You can see how money and faith go hand in hand. And therefore, when we talk about how God glor is glorified through money as a was, we're talking about what you've earned. And St. Paul was very clear when he said, if you don't work, you don't eat. What I want you to do is ask you, when was the last paycheck you received and why did you get it? Why did you earn a paycheck? I am a what is called a secular institute priest. And as a secular institute priest, we are very different from a diocesan priest. A diocesan priest is actually technically called a secular priest versus a religious order priest like the Dominicans, the Jesuits, you know, the Franciscans, and everybody else. They all have a particular charism particular mission and do it. The charism of the diocesan priest is to be a secular person, to enter into the secular world. So prior to the way you understand parish priests now, you know what they had to do? The bishop would just simply say, Father X, I need you to set up shop in Brisbane. Go, do what needs to be done and get it started. So what did those priests do? They didn't have a finance council. They literally just had to do work. They literally be like, uh, 
anyone need any work done? Because I'm going to need some money to help build this church. They would do anything and everything. These days, that's not what it looks like anymore, right? Now they're all just, this is no criticism of my brother priests. I love them dearly. I love them dearly. But some of us are spoiled. And you're like, I can't believe he's saying this. But we are. I want you to think about it. What other occupation is there where you literally get not only a paycheck, you get a house, you get insurance, you have all of your food paid for, and you get a housekeeper? It sounds like Downton Abbey. (laughs) Which is why we have to reclaim the secular character of our priesthood, which means if you don't work, you don't eat. And how are we going to learn this? From you, lay people. You. So as a secular institute priest, I don't get paid from a diocese, and I don't get paid from my superiors, a religious order. The only way that I get paid is if I work, if I'm gigging if I'm actually getting out there and doing things. So let me tell you what I do. I host a TV show. I don't get paid much for that because we're not on a major food network or anything like that. But I also speak. I also sell books, especially since Christmas is only a month and a half away. I also uh, have um, a podcast, uh, and it's an opportunity for me to discuss life in general with different people called shoottheshiitake.com. All right, so, and it's me just literally talking to just normal people. And then I, um, I also have created just opportunities to start a restaurant next year, God willing, in Baltimore, where I will be providing formation for ex-convicts. So I'll be working with ex-cons. That's my work. That's how I make money. That's the money that was. Now we have to bring to the present, how does money glorify God now? So I'd like for you just to meditate. You've earned this paycheck last week. What did you do with it today? Where did your money go? Well, here's what I would like to offer you. You need to make sure that you have a clear understanding of what it costs to live. There's a big difference between wants and needs. And how are we right now giving glory to God with our money? And it's going to have to be, again, in that act of religion, in the act of giving it to others. There was a guy I know, total atheist, total atheist, but he taught me how to be religious with my money right now. He actually takes all those coins and every day he just takes a handful of coins and just puts it in his pocket and he lives in New York City and every time he sees a homeless person, he just gives a coin to people along the way. He's an atheist telling me how to be generous right here, right now. The issue with me is like, I would always rationalize it, and you're going to be asking this question, well, what do you know about that person? That person might use it for drugs. 
Yeah, probably. If you don't know what that person might get it to like buy liquor. Yeah, probably. But what do I do with them right here, right now? You see, when God puts money in your pocket today, it's for a purpose of the present moment. So whenever I uh, lead people on pilgrimages and stuff, I always tell them, don't be afraid to spend your money as long as you know that it's going to be used for something good, something to glorify God. Like when you buy a gift for a loved one, that's good. It's a good thing. You obviously got to be responsible. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are constantly planning for how they're going to glorify God in the future, what will be. So look, as it was, as it is, and this is where everyone wants to focus, as what money will be. Because they always think of money as only a future savings thing. And I'm here to tell you, there is no guarantee you're going to be here tomorrow. There is no guarantee. Which is why, if you are going to spend money today, do it responsibly. And do it without fear. But make sure there's also a future investment, which is why I want to ask you, One basic question. How much did this event cost for you tonight? How much does it cost for them to come to an event like this tonight? For them, individually. It's free. Okay, great. How is this going to affect your future? The only way the culture project is going to continue is if they have money for the future. Where is it going to come from? Right here, right now, with you. And you're thinking, God, is he going to send out a collection plate? (laughs) Most of the plates that I send out usually have awesome food on it, okay? That's how I operate. But I got to ask you, how are you going to invest in your future? I've been a priest for almost 20 years. And if there's one thing I love about our Catholic faith is that it's all about the generosity of God. Jesus gives to us his body, blood, soul, and divinity but we give him maybe an hour once a week and a few minutes every day. In other words, with God, we're kind of cheap. I mean, you think about his miracles. He, he even said, you know, through God the Father talking to Adam and Eve, you've got all of the garden for you to eat. You don't have to work. I'm providing everything for you. You don't have to worry about your future, which we all do, don't we, financially. And he's saying, stop, I will provide for you. Just stay away from that one thing. And then, of course, we all know what happens. They mess up. They break God's diet. But even then, God will provide. And he says, I, don't worry, I will give you a land flowing with Come on, you people are awake. You know this. You're Catholic. You've got the culture project going. He's going to give us a land flowing with, and that's not cheap. But by the way, where did that milk come from? Obviously, animals. So we didn't actually even make it. And what about honey? Animals. We don't make it. We just have to accept it and celebrate it. But before they get there, before they got to get there, 
to this land flowing with milk and honey. What do they have to do at that moment for 40 years? They have to go without. They have to literally fast in the desert for 40 years. That's that present moment that I'm talking about where when you give something to others, you might be a little less, you might have a little less money, but what you've done is you've invested in a future kind of faith. The fact that they had to fast was simply so that they would be hungry for all that God was going to give to them. And I think that if there's one thing that we can do to glorify God right here, right now, is to give a little bit of ourselves to others and go without. A little bit of fasting helps a lot. So if you're eating, put it away right now. I'm kidding. No, eat up, eat up, eat up. Because we've got to be able to invest in our future. Our future kind of depends on generations, excuse me, generosity. Think of that word. Generosity is where we get the word generations. And I think that we have just kind of become cheap with God. You think about how he has provided for us. You think about the fact that uh, his first miracle, again, food, you know what it is, right? What was his first miracle? Wine. You're definitely Catholic. Yeah, (laughs) wine. And a lot of it. And when Jesus made it, it was literally... The best. It was Shiraz, 1997. (laughs) And he made a lot. He made a lot. And a lot of college kids are like, yeah, party with Jesus. No, not because he wants to get us drunk, but because he wants to show that when God gives in the present and for your future, he gives the best and he gives the most. What was his second miracle? It had to do with food and a lot of it. The fishes and the loaves. And by the way, a lot of people think, you know, that in America, they used to call Catholics fish eaters because that's all we were known for, for eating fish on Fridays because it was penitential, as if somehow eating fish is penitential. Not the way I make it, people. No. (laughs) Holy cow, it's delicious, right? So... But they eat fish for this reason, because the word fish in Greek is ichthus, and it's actually the first letter of a phrase in Greek, Jesus Christus huius theus soter, which means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And you have to trust in God if you're going to put out a line, because there's no guarantee you're going to catch fish. But with Christ, you're going to catch a lot of fish if we're willing to do it his way, as he told Peter on the Sea of Galilee, have you caught any fish? No, we ain't got caught nothing. We've been working all night. Well, then cast your net on the other side, which is code word for stop doing it your way. Start doing it my way, a different way. And then they catch a lot of fish. Why bread? Why bread? Anyone know? Well, I'll tell you. Because for the people of the Middle East, bread literally means life. It literally means life. Has anyone ever been to the Holy Land? Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you haven't, come with me. I've got four trips next year. You can join me in the Holy Land, and I'm going to take you to a Middle Eastern bake shop, and they literally have what is called a tandoor-style oven, where it's specifically for bread, 
and they take the bread, they put it on a pillow, and they slap it against the wall, and they call that oven a womb. That's literally called the womb, where life is. And why bread? Well, because in order for you to get bread, you have to work with the elements. You have to take that grain and crush it, the same way with grapes, crush it. And that word crush, contere, against the earth. You see, oftentimes when you're working for money, you sometimes feel like you're up against the, between a rock and a hard place. But that's the investment you're giving to God right now for your future. And the only reason why I want to talk about your investment in the future is because I've got to ask you, what do you spend money on today that's going to help your faith in the future? And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Go on a pilgrimage with me. <laughs> Available at fatherleofeeds.com slash travel. All right, I mean, I'm serious. Go on a pilgrimage. And why? You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. You really don't. But more importantly, I'm telling you to go on a pilgrimage because remember, who were the people who started the economy? Catholic pilgrims. It was their commercial activity that not only kept the faith going, but it started a worldwide economy. And that's why we cannot just be parishioners anymore because it creates too much of a parochial mentality. Your experience of church is only this one hour or sometimes we leave right after communion, which is pretty cheap. Which is why I would have put a sign on every church door that says, Judas was the first to leave too. (laughs) You can't get any more cheap than that. So what I'm asking you to do is invest the money you have now for a future experience as a pilgrim. And why? Because it gives you perspective. I lead a lot of pilgrimages, even for high executives, I just got back about a month ago from a pilgrimage retreat in the wine country in Italy. A very difficult life I lead, very difficult. And some of these people were serious business people. And they had never considered investing in their faith for the future. They'd never considered it. Most Catholics don't. They don't consider investing in your faith for the future. And what they discovered was that they were getting more out of, like, I'd say, a nine, ten-day pilgrimage than they did by going to church for the past 50 years every Sunday. And why? Because it's creating an experience of faith that creates a memory in you that lasts longer than you could ever, ever imagine. And experience is what you need to be investing in now for your future. So, what do I mean by this? Get a perspective. It takes certainly money, time, and energy to go on, say, like a pilgrimage. But if you can't go across the pond with me, then go to maybe a different Catholic church in your diocese. Just leave your envelopes at your own parish, okay? So if there's any of the pastors here, you're welcome. But think about taking time to go to another Catholic church. Think about that. 
how about this? Whoa. How about getting a perspective and maybe being a pilgrim and go to a different mass time? Well, that's asking a lot. Wait a minute, how about this? How about sitting in a different pew? This is creating anxiety in people now. But the only reason why I'm saying this is because you have control of not only what you earned in the past, but how you approach the act of religion now. And I guarantee you, what you invest now for your future, you're going to have a different perspective of money. You know, again, the original talk on my, on my uh, website is the economy of faith, the salvation history of faith. And I'm going to just simply say it. What's going to save this world? Pope Francis was very clear early in his pontificate when he said, what this world needs, and everyone laughed at him, especially moral theologians who think that the church is only about, you know, morals, especially with sexual morals. No, Pope Francis actually said, what's going to help save this world is a good economy where people actually have the dignity of work. You know what he was saying? He was saying what another Pope Leo the 13th said in Rerum Navarum. Talked about the dignity of letargos, liturgy, the dignity of work, which is what we don't seem to have anymore. We only have a job. And if you're really a good Catholic and you're really trying to improve the culture, especially when it comes to money and finances, is we have to see that we don't just have a job. We have a vocation. It's a calling. What I'd like to do is give you a chance to ask some questions. Again, this is not a typical talk for me, but you can see I'm very passionate when it comes to making sure we have a healthier understanding of money. It is to glorify God from your past to your present, and to your future. To know that money is the bridge, that offertory is the bridge between the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. It's that religare, the giving up, and the religere, that bounding together, that my money actually makes a difference in somebody else's life. When it comes to food, for me and my particular brand, it's interesting. My love for food came about actually when I was in seminary and we had a retreat and we had to eat in silence. Really painful. Because this spiritual director, who was actually a psychotherapist dealing particularly with sexual addictions, <laughs> it's crazy. She actually challenged us and invited us to eat in silence and to meditate very slowly on your food made us look at it and think, made us smell it and create memory, made us taste it and discern what I was experiencing. And as we were letting the food kind of become part of us, made us think about all of the hands that participated in this food, from the farmer to the people who picked it, to the people who packed it and shipped it, to the grocer, to the chef, to the server, to me. 
That's pretty amazing. And just to think that that plate of food maybe costs, what, 15, 20 bucks? That's pretty inexpensive altogether. But what you're doing when you think about this food and what you're consuming, it is going to take a little bit of an investment on your part. And the way we kind of uh, can save the world is by not being cheap. Um, I'm always so shocked that in America, really expensive restaurants, actually their cuisine is poor man's food. Originally it was poor man's food. Like from a taco to a pizza to a salad. That's poor man's food. But why is it so expensive now? Well, I think it's because we don't have a consciousness of how food and commercialism is supposed to glorify God. So what I want to do is give you a chance to ask some questions because I'm a very unique priest and also a very unique Filipino. I'm going to start and end on time. That was Father Leo Patalinko with Restore, your view of money. For more talks, interviews and shows, visit Cradio.org.au